I'm reading from the 21st chapter of the book of 1 Chronicles, beginning at verse 9. 1 Chronicles 21, beginning at the ninth verse. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee, either three years famine, or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel seventy thousand men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Though I have mentioned in several of my sermons the pandemic that has swept across the world, I don't know if you have been expecting me to address the issue directly in one of my sermons. Many priests and ministers have spoken on the subject, and I feel I would not be a good pastor if I did not make some kind of comments on this topic which is on everyone's mind. Perhaps you're wondering what the scripture might have to say about plagues or pandemics, or at least you want to know what, if anything, does the scripture tell us about how we should respond to an outbreak of a terrible disease like this. So I've spent nearly a month now doing research on what the scriptures and our Book of Common Prayer have to say about plagues and pestilences. Since it's been a long time since a pandemic of the nature of the coronavirus has swept the United States, we have a tendency to forget that pandemics, epidemics, or outbreaks of disease are nothing new. All we need to do is look at the history of the ancient world to find many instances of pandemics which were far worse than what we have experienced so far. It is no telling how many plagues occurred in the ancient world before people began to record the history of these pandemics. One of the first recorded for us was the plague of Athens, which occurred somewhere between 430 and 426 BC. It's estimated that this plague killed anywhere from 75,000 to 100,000 people. The Greek historian Thucydides, who lived from 460 to 400 BC, described that plague in this way. It is said to have broken out previously in many other places in the region of Lemnos and elsewhere, but there was no previous record of so great a pestilence and destruction of human life. The doctors were unable to cope since they were treating the disease for the first time and in ignorance. Indeed, the more they came into contact with sufferers, the more liable they were to lose their own lives. Sound familiar? The symptoms of this plague included fever, sneezing, sore throat, violent coughing, and chest pains. People usually died within 10 days of contracting the disease. At first, people tried to help the sick. 
But when they realized that by helping the sick, they became vulnerable to catching the disease themselves, they eventually abandoned caring for these people. Another devastating plague was the Antonine Plague, which swept through the Roman Empire from 165 to around 180 AD. It is estimated that 5 million people died in this pandemic. This plague appears to have begun in China and infected the Roman army and then swept through the various towns and cities as soldiers returned from military campaigns in the Near East. Some have speculated that this plague could have been the measles or smallpox since sores appeared to erupt on the skin around the ninth day of the illness. Galen, the famous Greek physician of the period, said people with this disease experienced inability to swallow, sore throat, coughing, vomiting, among many other symptoms. The historian Cassius Dio, who lived from 155 to 235, says that the disease killed 2,000 people per day. There was a second outbreak during this period that killed as many as 5,000 people per day. In our current crisis, we are very much concerned about the mortality rate. The mortality rate for the Antonine Plague was around 25%. The emperor, Marcus Aurelius, blamed Christians for this pandemic. Again, sound familiar? Saying that Christians had angered the gods by not observing the state religion. Some historians believe that Marcus Aurelius himself eventually died of this disease. The outbreak of the disease resulted in scarcity of food and decreased tax revenue, which dealt a deadly blow to the economy of the empire. But interestingly, the church grew as a result of this plague because Christians showed so much love in caring for the sick. Some people believe that this pandemic set the stage for Christianity becoming the official religion of the empire a little over a hundred years later. Many people believe that this plague led to the eventual fall of the Roman Empire because the army was decimated and there was so much civil unrest. Another devastating plague was one called the Plague of Cyprian, named for St. Cyprian, who recorded the history of this pandemic. This plague broke out right around Easter in the year 250 and lasted until around 270. It is said that 5,000 people a day died during this pandemic. Symptoms of this disease included fatigue, sore throat, vomiting, and many others. Theories have been that this plague was bubonic plague, typhus, cholera, smallpox, measles, or anthrax. The plague caused such turmoil in the Roman Empire that St. Cyprian said that it seemed as though the world was coming to an end. Two Roman emperors died in this plague, Hostilian and Clodius III. The economic devastation was tremendous and there was a shortage of food. Again, this plague appears to have originated in China and brought back along what was called the Silk Road, which referred to the major trade routes that linked China and Europe. This was another pandemic, which resulted in the conversion of many people to Christ when people saw the love that Christians exhibited in giving care to the sick and the hope of eternal life. Another major plague was called the Plague of Justinian, named after the ruler of the Byzantine Empire, Justinian I. This pandemic began in 541 and lasted to somewhere around 750. Imagine a 200-year plague that just kept popping up again and again. It's estimated that this plague killed 50 million people, perhaps as many as 100 million. Again, it's believed that this plague began in China, 
went to India and Europe through the Silk Road. This pandemic appears to have been the bubonic plague. It may be the first time that infected people were quarantined. As in other plagues, Christianity flourished because of their example of caring for the sick. Plagues like these really did alter the course of human history, just as the plague that we are experiencing may alter the course of human history. Perhaps the most famous plague, especially for people living in the West, was called the Black Death, which occurred from 1347 to 1352. It's estimated that this plague killed around 30 million people and wiped out 30 to 50 percent of the population of Europe. Again, this appears to have been a bubonic plague with people dying within three days of the time they were infected. It was another plague that seemed to have originated in Asia. The Black Death was part of what has been called the Second Plague Pandemic. Although I gave the dates of the Black Death as 1347 to 1352, some historians say the Second Plague Pandemic actually lasted from 1341 into the 19th century, almost 400 years. There were outbreaks again and again in various places in Europe during this long period of time. Now, the reason I've given this brief history is to show that pandemics are nothing new. Also, I wanted to show that the church has survived through some of these terrible pandemics and in some cases actually thrived as a result of them. But the main reason I wanted us to look at this subject of pandemics was that England was hard hit by these various plagues, especially the city of London. In the years 1479 and 1480, a plague in England killed between 400,000 and 500,000 people. In London, 30,000 people died in 1603 because of the plague. 35,000 died in 1605. 10,000 died in 1636. And the last devastating plague called the Great Plague of London occurred from 1665 to 1666. The Great Plague of London killed 100,000 people over an 18-month period, one-fourth of London's population. One historian has said that the plague was present somewhere in Europe every single year between 1346 and 1671. Think of it, 300 years of plague. With these plagues sweeping through Europe on such a regular basis, it was natural that people would pray for God to spare them from these pandemics and to ask God to stop the spread of the disease. So it's no surprise that various prayer books would include prayers to be used during the time of a pandemic, which would have been referred to in those days as plagues or pestilences. And our Book of Common Prayer is no different. If you had been living in England during the time the prayer book was written, it would have been difficult to forget about plagues. The plagues in England that I mentioned earlier were just the really bad plagues. But historians say that beginning in 1348, the plague broke out in London every 20 to 30 years until 1666. So if you had been living in London during the time the prayer book was written, you would have probably just have survived a plague or you were dreading the next one. The first prayer concerning plagues that we have in our Book of Common Prayer occurs in the 1552 version. The first edition of the prayer book was published in 1549, but it did not include a separate 
prayer concerning plagues. But the 1549 prayer book did contain the litany, which includes the petition from lightning and tempest, from plague, pestilence, and famine, from battle and murder, and from sudden death, good Lord, deliver us, which is still in our litany in the 1928 prayer book on page 54. As you can see, even in our first edition of the Book of Common Prayer, there was a prayer beseeching God to deliver them from plague and pestilence. In our day, we usually reserve the term plague for an outbreak of diseases like the bubonic plague, diseases caused by bacteria. The word pestilence is often used to describe any deadly or virulent epidemic disease. So when the prayer book mentions plague and pestilence, they were probably just meaning any pandemics, epidemics, or widespread outbreaks of disease. So our first prayer book is very much concerned with what might be called pandemics. But the first time that there is really a separate prayer in the prayer book to deal with the plague was three years later in 1552 in the second version of the Book of Common Prayer, sometimes referred to as the prayer book of Edward VI. In that edition, at the end of the litany, were some prayers that could be used at various times. One of those prayers is called, In the Time of Any Common Plague or Sickness. And this was the prayer. O Almighty God, which in thy wrath in the time of King David did slay with the plague of pestilence sixty and ten thousand, and yet remembering thy mercy didst save the rest. Have pity upon us miserable sinners that now are visited with great sickness and mortality, that like as thou didst then command thy angel to cease from punishing, so it may now please thee to withdraw from us thy plague and grievous sickness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you see why I chose that passage from 1 Chronicles 21 for my text for today, because this prayer specifically references what happened in that plague recorded in 1 Chronicles 21. Before we look in some detail at that incident in 1 Chronicles, let me continue to show you how that prayer in the time of plague is used in the history of our prayer book. This prayer occurs again in the 1559 prayer book, commonly referred to as the Elizabethan prayer book. There are no changes made to this prayer in that edition. The next major revision in the prayer book occurs in 1662. Now remember from the little history lesson I gave you that in 1662, plagues are fresh on the minds of the people in London. And as I said, an even greater plague will occur in about three years. So this prayer will be in great use in 1665 and 1666 when 100,000 people in London will die. In that edition, this prayer is moved from the end of the litany to the section of the prayer book called Prayers and Thanksgivings. The prayer has been changed a little in this edition. It reads, O Almighty God, who in thy wrath did send a plague upon thine own people in the wilderness for their obstinate rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and also in the time of King David, didst slay with the plague of pestilence threescore and ten thousand, and yet remembering thy mercy didst save the rest, 
Have pity upon us miserable sinners who now are visited with great sickness and mortality that like as thou didst then accept of an atonement and didst command the destroying angel to cease from punishing so it may now please thee to withdraw from us this plague and grievous sickness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now you will notice that this prayer has been changed to include the account of another plague that God sent upon his people in the book of Numbers when the people rebelled against the leadership of Moses and Aaron and 14,700 of the children of Israel died. And I will also return to this story and see why our prayer book includes that particular event. By the way, this prayer is still in the Book of Common Prayer used by the Church of England to this day. The next major change in the prayer book occurs on this side of the Atlantic when the American branch of the Anglican Church, which becomes known eventually as the Episcopal Church, makes many changes that primarily concern the new political structure that existed here. But there is a significant change made in this plague prayer. In fact, we could say that it's essentially a new prayer entirely. In the first edition of the prayer book in the United States, which was published in 1789, the title of the prayer is, In Time of Great Sickness and Mortality. Mortality, in this instance, meaning widespread death, the death of large numbers, such as would occur in an outbreak of a widespread disease, which is what this prayer has in mind. This prayer is very different in its wording from the previous prayer, but many of the basic themes are the same. This prayer says, O Almighty God, the Lord of life and death, of sickness and health, regard our supplications we humbly beseech thee, and as thou hast thought fit to visit us for our sins with great sickness and mortality, in the midst of thy judgment, O Lord, remember mercy. Have pity upon us miserable sinners, and withdraw from us the grievous sickness with which we are afflicted. May this thy fatherly correction have its due influence upon us by leading us to consider how frail and uncertain our life is, that we may apply our hearts unto that heavenly wisdom which, in the end, will bring us to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You will notice that the scriptural references to the plague during the time of Moses and Aaron and the plague during the time of David have been removed. But there is still the idea that these times of sickness and mortality, these occasions of widespread disease, are viewed as judgments from God for sin, and there is the prayer for God to have mercy and withdraw this period of sickness and death from us. The next edition of the American Prayer Book, the 1892 version, stuck with this version of the prayer without any changes. But the 1928 prayer book does make some significant changes in this prayer. This is the prayer that we have been praying every day during the time of our pandemic. The title of the prayer is the same, but the text is very different. In this version, we have the following prayer. O most mighty and merciful God, in this time of grievous sickness, we flee unto thee for succor, Deliver us, we beseech thee, from our peril. Give strength and skill to all those who minister to the sick. Prosper the means made use of for their cure. And grant that perceiving how frail and uncertain our life is, 
we may apply our hearts unto that heavenly wisdom which leadeth to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As you will notice, there's no reference to God visiting us with sickness, no reference to God sending a plague, no statement that the widespread sickness is a judgment from God for sin, and no reference to the sickness being fatherly correction. Now, before I move on, I wanted to call your attention to a couple of prayers added to the 1604 edition of the Book of Common Prayer, which is sometimes called the Hampton Court Book. King James I of the King James Version fame was king at the time. Now, remember that I said earlier that in 1603, the plague broke out in London and killed 35,000 people. But when the plague died down, a new edition of the prayer book was published in 1604 that had two prayers of thanksgiving to be used when God had removed a plague. These prayers are under the heading, Thanksgiving for Deliverance from the Plague or Other Common Sickness. The first prayer is as follows. O Lord God, who hast wounded us for our sins and consumed us for our transgressions by thy late heavy and dreadful visitation, and now in the midst of judgment remembering mercy, hast redeemed our souls from the jaws of death, we offer unto thy fatherly goodness ourselves, our souls and bodies which thou hast delivered, to be a living sacrifice unto thee, always praising and magnifying thy mercies in the midst of thy church, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the second prayer that could be used was this. We humbly acknowledge before thee, O most merciful Father, that all the punishments which are threatened in thy law might justly have fallen upon us by reason of our manifold transgressions and hardness of heart. Yet seeing it hath pleased thee of thy tender mercy upon our weak and unworthy humiliation to assuage the contagious sickness wherewith we lately have been sore afflicted and to restore the voice of joy and health unto our dwellings, we offer unto thy divine majesty the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, lauding and magnifying thy glorious name for such thy preservation and providence over us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now again, you will notice in these two prayers of thanksgiving, there is an acknowledgement that God sent the plague. It was a just visitation of judgment because of their sin and hardness of heart. And of course, there is the acknowledgement that God in his mercy had removed the plague. Now, why did the prayer book use this kind of language about God sending plagues and God removing plagues? Why did the prayer book use this kind of language about God sending plagues as a judgment for sin? Well, there's a simple answer to that question. They used that language because it is the language of scripture. Scripture speaks of God sending plagues. Let me just give you a small sample. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 25, when God tells his people about the kind of judgments that will come upon them if they violate his covenant, he says to them, and I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant 
And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Second Chronicles 7.13 If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Jeremiah 24.10 And I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them, till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. Jeremiah 29.17 Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. Ezekiel 5.17 so will I send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee. Ezekiel 28, 23, For I will send into her pestilence and blood into her streets. Revelation chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And finally, at the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. There is no question that the scriptures consistently use the language that God sends plagues and pestilence. So since scripture uses that language, and historically our prayer book has used that language, we need to examine closely what scripture teaches and whether we should pray as Anglicans prayed for centuries. Now you may be asking, why would a good and loving God permit something like a plague to happen? Well, in coming studies, we will look at some of the biblical answers to that question. For now, let me close by saying that God is sovereign, which means he is sovereign even over pandemics. He has the power to bring pandemics to an end, and we should ask him to do so. And also we should learn that pandemics are always a call for repentance. As the minister says each day in the morning and evening prayer service, although we ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before God. Now, if we ought at all times to confess our sins unto Almighty God, then certainly we should do so during times of plague and sickness when our hearts and minds are naturally drawn to the serious contemplation of the most important issues of life, death, and eternity. Though the prayers that we have looked at in the prayer book have differed over time, they are united by pleas for mercy and deliverance. In our text, God sent a plague upon the people of Israel because David committed the sin of numbering the people. And next week, I will explain why God considered that to be such a terrible sin. This pestilence is called the sword of the Lord and we have the imagery of an angel with sword drawn, spreading pestilence throughout the land. And after 70,000 people died, 
the Lord had pity and told the angel to put away his sword. So David was right whenever he described the Lord as being a merciful God. The story is also recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and in verse 25 of that chapter, we are told, And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel. During this time of grievous sickness, trial, death, and sorrow, let us follow the example of David and pray that the Almighty God who delights to show mercy would pity us and that we would have a happy issue out of all our affliction. And finally, let us remember that God works all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are the called according to His purpose. God is so sovereign in history that He can cause even catastrophic events to work together for the good of His people. My little survey of plagues shows how the Lord used plagues to alter the course of human history in such a way that more and more people came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't know for certain what the purpose of God is regarding these recent events, but we know that He is holy and just, and whatever that purpose is, one day we will see how all of this worked together in such a way that His name would be glorified through eternal ages. Amen.